Well, good morning. Hey, here's what I love about EV Free. We've not had a senior pastor for about a year and a half, and we have not missed a beat, the stuff that we have done. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm thinking about Love Europe. I can't believe how many teams we sent out. My son was on one of those teams. Uh, OC United is going great. We're about to partner with OC United, the Center for Marriage and Relationships, Biola, to do a massive evangelistic uh, outreach for marriages, uh, for uh, communities that need it. And I just love what's happening here. So get involved, get some skin in the game, and I think it'd be great to uh, go to that membership class would be very important. Um, Our 25th wedding anniversary, we went to Israel. We went with our adult group. We belong to Encouragement, Inc., and a bunch of us went. It was great. I remember standing outside of Jerusalem thinking about what Jesus must have felt when in the Gospels, Jesus stands in front of Jerusalem and he weeps. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you in my arms, but you would not. How tragic. Well, you know, Jesus still weeps for the world. He sees what's happening today and it breaks his heart. So what does he do about it? He says to his ambassadors, to his children, go represent me. Paul says, it is as though God is speaking through you. So he wants you to impact your neighborhood. He wants you to talk to non-Christian family members. He wants you to talk to non-Christian individuals at work. Now, how do you do that? We talked about that last week. God has hardwired the human heart so that all of us are experiencing the exact same emotion at the same time. And that is this general feeling of being discontented. Not that you can't enjoy life or relationships, but there's a general sense of discontentment to this world. There are great moments, like what just happened last night. You can see Chapel Hill men's basketball team beat Duke in Chapel Hill, beat the Blue Devils, enough said from a biblical standpoint. So life is good, but there's always more that we can think of. So we put it in the problem, cause, solution format that we use in rhetoric. First, let's identify the problem. Second, what are the causes of this problem? And then last, what could be some solutions? Last week, we identified the problem that we are a people who long for global peace, but we just can't pull it off. Uh, We want to make friends with death, Freud says, but we just can't do it at the last minute. We want a love relationship like Jim and Pam in the office. We just can't pull it off. So we're kind of left with this sense of discontentment. Now, what's amazing is in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon does a really interesting thing. At the end of his life, Solomon looks backwards and evaluates his life, but he does it, interestingly enough, as if he were a person who didn't believe in God. So let's take a look. Let's stand to receive God's word. And let's take a look at what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all of his work which he does under the sun? That phrase, under the sun, 29 times is used in Ecclesiastes, is not used anywhere else in all of the scriptures. What he's saying is, under the sun represents if I did this without God. So Solomon, who does believe in God, is reflecting backward and imagining his life if he didn't believe in God. He goes on, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. 
Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again, blowing towards the south and then turning towards the north. The wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they will flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. You may be seated. Let's take a look at what Solomon is saying. First, remember our theme, C.S. Lewis, God whispers in your pleasures. Hey, life is good in a fallen world. That's an odd thing for a Christian to say, but because of God's common grace that he bestows upon all of the planet, you have goodness, you have justice, you have beauty, you have art. There are good things. So Lewis said, God shouts in your pain, but he whispers in your pleasures, which means God is like elevator music in your life. It's always in the background, always saying, hey, there could be more in this life. Remember, we ended last week's sermon was Jean-Paul Sartre, great atheist thinker, who said, even with Beethoven, I I want more. There's just more I can conceive of. So Solomon sends us on a grand experiment of imagining what life is like without God. And this is what Solomon says. He says, vanity of vanities. By that he means uh, it just all is the same and it becomes wearisome after a while, right? The sun comes up. The sun goes down. One generation comes, followed by another generation. That's what's hard about teaching in higher education. We have turnover. Every four years, you get new students. And after a while, it's just like the same old, same old. And that's what Solomon is saying. Man, the sun comes up, it comes down. Um, The the rivers flow uh, into the ocean, and the ocean is never full. Uh, The wind is the exact same thing. He said, all of these things are wearisome, but man is not able to tell it. Now, what does he mean by that? Man feels it, but it's hard for him to articulate it. Uh, That's exactly what we said is true of your non-Christian neighbors, your non-Christian family members. There is a sense of discontentment we all feel, and your job as an evangelist is to give voice to that. And we're going to talk more about that today. Remember, we just identified the problem last week, but now we're going to talk about the causes of the problem and then some possible solutions. But I love the last part of verse 8. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. Right? I mean, it is amazing how we get used to beauty. So my wife and I were in Jerusalem for uh, a week. And after a while, you're like, wow, holy sight, powerful. Wow, life-changing event right there. That's awesome. I mean, you just get acclimated to certain things, right? John Mayer, I read an interview by John Mayer. He's an award-winning songwriter. He said this, one of the most powerful comments about pornography I've ever heard. John Mayer, this was in Rolling Stone magazine. He said this. I often start my day, Mayer said, with looking at images on my laptop, and I often will scan through 300 images, pornographic images of women. 300. He said, every one is perfect, perfectly beautiful, but I always think there's more. And so I scroll. This is John Mayer. 300 photographs is how he starts his day. So there's a feeling on planet Earth we never get satisfied. 
We can enjoy our marriages, we can enjoy our work, we can enjoy this church, but we always feel a little restless, like there's something else. And that's what uh, Ecclesiastes is about, is if you take God out of the picture, you're always going to be restless. But then we consider last week Augustine, who said, yeah, but it's Christians as well. Augustine said, your hearts are restless, so they find peace in God. Pascal said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in your heart. Only God can fill it. So your career won't fill it. Your marriage won't fill it, because only God can fill it. So in a sense, we are restless as Christians as well. And then we stuck it into this problem-cause-solution format that we use in rhetoric all the time. We identified the problem. Now, what are the causes of this problem? Now, understand, non-Christians have felt this just as much as Christians, so non-Christians have written about this as much as Christians. So, when we talk about causes to the problem, know that non-Christians will give one answer and Christians will give a different answer. But let's take a look at some non-Christian answers that I think are interesting. Uh, this is Albert Camus. Uh, Camus, like Sartre, it's, it's a post-World War II. The whole world is shaken deeply. How could we treat each other like this? How could we do concentration camps? How, how could we slaughter six million Jews, gypsies, and homosexuals? How could we do that to each other? The world was shaken. It's like we have no purpose in life anymore. And this is where Camus enters the scene. Camus says, okay, but it's not necessarily a bad thing that we don't have this overarching purpose. You can have happiness without this grand meaning of life. Okay, so he tried to explain it going to Greek mythology. This is Sisyphus who was punished by the gods, and they thought of a great punishment for Sisyphus. He would spend all of eternity rolling a rock up a mountain only to have the rock roll back for all of eternity. Now, you may say, well, what a horrible punishment, but Camus said, no, 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 not so quickly. Can Sisyphus find purpose in the moment? Right now, don't think about the grand picture that the rock's going to roll back, but can he not say as he's rolling the rock, hey, I'm getting good exercise, this is getting my aerobic heartbeat up. Um, I have a game plan. The game plan is I'm going to get this far in the next couple of minutes, right? If he thinks about the big picture, he's going to be depressed. Just don't think about the big picture. That's Camus. So a candle, you let a candle in your house. Well, the candle's going to eventually extinguish. Bummer, but it's not extinguished now. It's it's, um, it's, it's glowing brightly. That woman that you're in love with, that man that you're in love with, one day will die. I'm sorry, the mortality rate is 100%. Bummer. But that person isn't dead now, so enjoy the now, right? That's what was Camus' answer is. You all are making yourselves miserable because you want some grand purpose to life. And I'm sorry, there is none. You want the perfect lover. Bummer, there isn't one. Settle for the immediate and enjoy the present. Why do you always have to add this grand meaning to life? There is none. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the candle while it's burning because one day it will extinguish, okay? Uh, another answer to this problem. Uh, there are some people who say, media-wise, we're making ourselves miserable because we watch commercials, we watch movies, we open ourselves up to consumerism, and consumerism's job is to tell you the minivan you drive could be so much better, the laptop you have, oh my gosh, it's archaic, you can get a new one, um, and this is Cindy Jackson. Cindy Jackson holds the record in the United States for the most plastic surgery procedures in the United States. She has had 55 procedures starting in 1979. I wrote about it in the God Conversation. And uh, she has a website where she's not done yet. 
Um, she wants a, a flawless beauty. A partial list of her 55 procedures includes numerous Botox injections, five facelifts, a chin tuck, liposuction, eyes redone twice, and on her website, she lists 20 more procedures that she wants to have happen. I, I saw a, a, a documentary, this is an amazing documentary, on models whose one job is to like, pick one part of the body and they're the best representation of that body. The segment I saw was this guy, his full-time job was he was a stomach model. That was his job. So he had like six-pack abs, he had a nutritionist, a weightlifting coach, and he exercised eight hours a day just on his abs because that was his livelihood. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I wonder if it was kind of fun for me to reconnect with people I used to work with, but... (laughs) Think about that. You see that, and you don't realize it's all been done. You know, a bill was going through Congress, this was a couple of years ago, that would have mandated if a photograph on the cover of whatever magazine has been photoshopped, the, uh, the manufacturers had to put a little asterisk by the photograph signifying that this has been uh, airshopped, airbrushed. It was defeated by very powerful lobbyists in Congress, right? But I think, what a great idea. The Cosmopolitan has both a U.S. version and an international version. They had a Brazilian model on the cover, and on the international version, they forgot to airbrush her cellulite. So they caught it, and they redid it for the U.S. version, and she, hats off to her, came out publicly and said, I really wish they wouldn't have done that. I don't think anybody would look at me and say I'm not attractive. And guess what? I have cellulite. That's just part of life. But we don't see life. We see the best versions of life in Facebook, on uh, commercials and movies. And we look at our bland life and we're like, well, of course I'm disappointed. You know, back in the 1700s, a man would go out in his field and he would, for eight, ten hours a day have a mule in front of him with a plow, you know, in lines up and down. He's looking at the backside of a mule eight to ten hours. He came home, opened that door, and there was his wife, and she looked really good, okay? (laughs) But today, we're hit with all these unrealistic images that just aren't real, and that's what's making you miserable, So unplug from consumerism and be content with the laptop you have, with the spouse you have, with the friends you have, with the life you have, and don't let movies tell you about this other kind of life that nobody can attain. Those are two ways to resolve the problem. Now, um, Pascal comes along. Pascal's a fascinating thinker. He's a Christian thinker in the 1700s. In the 1700s, he came up with the subway system in Paris. He had a working model of a computer, and he was a brilliant Christian. So he had an idea of saying, I think we're all deposed kings. In other words, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, not only did that sever our relationship with God, it severed our work that we were supposed to do. We were supposed to rule the earth. We were supposed to be um, earth keepers. And we are today still, but we got severed from our job responsibility. We had the highest job God could give us, and that was worship me and care for my planet earth that I've just created and declared good. Well, now we're human beings that kind of sort of remember that we were supposed to be royalty that cared for the planet earth, but now we're stuck in mundane life. I came across a commercial for a cruise liner that kind of got at this. Let's watch this commercial. (laughs) Right? Seven days at sea. 
and people waiting on you. Your cabin is cleaned every day. Uh, you can have as much as you want to eat, right? And now they're landlocked. Now they're back in reality, drinking coffee out of a styrofoam cup, uh, shades that don't quite work. And they keep remembering, I was a queen. I was treated like a king. I love the one man, he says, I view this as a temporary exile. And by the way, Pascal said, that's true. We are living in a temporary exile right now from paradise. One day we will get back to paradise, but not today. But we retain this image, Pascal says, that we were once royalty. We were meant to walk with God. We were meant to govern planet Earth. We're haunted by that kind of image. So those are different causes, right? One a, one a Christian cause, one a non-Christian cause, and the middle one is probably good advice. We probably do need to unplug from technology. We probably don't need to buy the lies of Hollywood that people actually look this way and marriages and lovers can be perfect and things like that. So let's take a look at <clears throat> whoop, solutions. What would be some possible solutions now, this is where Lewis is really good. He maps out three possible solutions to this discontentment. Solution number one, just set the bar low. Set the bar really low. You don't want to be disappointed in life, and then don't expect anything from your marriage. You want to be disappointed in life, then don't expect your career to do that. It's just a paycheck. And when it comes to lovers, just set it low and you won't be disappointed. I I remember watching Saturday Night Live and they kind of took this on. They created a dating app called Settle. And this is their, uh, this is a great uh, skit from Saturday Night Live. (laughs) Remember, it's not giving up, it's settling up. Hey, that is one way to resolve this problem is lower all expectations, right? I I have no great expectations for my marriage. I'm I'm content with it. I don't expect much from my kids. Therefore, I'm content with it. That is one way to resolve this problem. And tragically, so many people choose this option in really practical ways. Ask them how their job is. And they say, ah, you know what? It pays the bills. Yeah, I, I mean, I get a good vacation and good retirement. But the job is, eh, how's your marriage? Well, you know... Uh, it's really about the kids. That's our marriage. It, we kind of, the family business is getting the kids grown. That's just kind of what we're roommates. We're not so much soulmates, right? So you settle and you're not disappointed anymore. That is option number one. Option number two, Lewis says. He calls it the fool's way. This is interesting. He goes on all of his life thinking that only if he tried another woman or went for a more expensive holiday or whatever it is, then this time he really could catch the mysterious something we're all after. This person's interesting. He has not given up on the Jim and Pam type relationship you saw in the office. The problem is the person I'm married to. I'm not giving up the notebook fantasy of love. I just think the person I'm married to is just like a cosmic anchor that's dragging me down. So I'm going to ditch this person, and I'm still going to find the lover that's going to absolutely... Uh, uh, most people who get divorced get remarried. The, the vast majority of people in the United States who get divorced get remarried. And then guess what? They get remarried and they meet another person who was awesome before they got married. Right? I mean, I mean you're, in a, you're married and you got this coworker who laughs at everything you say. 
<laughs> You're so funny. You're thinking, I am funny. I am funny. She never thinks I'm funny. I mean, I'm funny. And then if you got small kids, it's horrible. I remember when Noreen, we had small kids. I would leave Noreen, right? Because I was in grad school and working for crew. I had teaching assistants in grad school. I leave my wife. She's in sweats with one slipper on, right? Because the kids are young and she's got like throw up on her and whatever. And I'm like, sorry, honey, got to go to work. I would love to stay. Bye. You know, and I just kind of, so I go to work and I got my TAs who, by the way, want to get letters of reference from me. When they go on to do their PhD, it's huge that you get a letter of reference from the person that you worked with when you were in the master's program. They thought everything I said was brilliant. I would say something like, oh, Mr. Mulehoff, that was, oh, my, my, my. Do you mind if I write that down? And I'm like, yes. I've always thought people should write down what I say. Yes. And she's doing Zumba, and she's living by herself, and right? And then I go back, my wife still has one shoe on. It's like, what? So let's say I leave my wife. I leave her. Because, oh, over here, this person think I hung the moon. Then you know what? You marry that person, and guess what? You find out she's got problems. Big problems. One big problem was... You were dating me when I was married. So obviously, you don't have very high morals, right? It's like, wow. But I don't give up. Okay, this person's a bummer. I'm getting rid of that person. I'm going to find another person. Right? This church isn't cutting it anymore. I'm going to find another church. Yeah, this job is crummy. So I hit my midlife crisis. What do you do? Midlife crisis, you reshuffle the deck. Any way possible. You get divorced, find a new job, shave your head. I mean, I don't know. Different different options. (laughs) So the fool's way is, oh, no, 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 no. There is still the perfect president. It's just like not everybody we've ever had. There still is the perfect church. It's just I've not, not experienced it yet. There is a, a job that would totally fulfill me. Right? So we don't give up on it. We just swap out people, churches, presidents, careers. That just doesn't work. That puts you on a rat race. So Lewis steps in. He says, okay, let me tell you what I think the Christian way is. Earthly pleasures such as relationships, fine art, or a career, are never meant to fully satisfy us. Remember, Augustine, your hearts are restless till that you find peace in God. There's a God-shaped vacuum in your heart, Pascal says. Not a career vacuum, not a spouse vacuum, not a kid vacuum, not a president vacuum. There's a God-shaped vacuum, and only God can fulfill that vacuum. So you will be discontented your entire life if you think you can marry the perfect spouse or have the perfect pastor. They were meant to arouse it. See, I think that's interesting. So, I've been married 26 years to Noreen. She's a great woman. Of course we have issues. She's maturing. She's growing. Uh, Of course we have issues. But, But the love that she loves me with is just meant to arouse what divine love looks like. Right? Um, There's this moment when Noreen and I are clicking, and it's great. And I think, oh my goodness, if this is what human love is like, imagine what divine love is like. Uh, Another thing, go go to some beautiful place in the world, and you see it. I remember going to the Indian Ocean for the very first time and seeing it and thinking, that's amazing. God says, oh, you have no idea what the new earth is going to look like. I'm going to totally redo the Indian Ocean. It's going to be like a divine home makeover. And when you see the Indian Ocean as I originally conceived it, 
it's going to absolutely blow your mind. So all of these earthly pleasures, like even community, is good, but wait until heaven where we have community with people who are being sanctified. Then he goes on. If that is so, I think this is so wise, Lewis says this. I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly pleasures. So I enjoy marriage. I just don't expect it to be God's love. I enjoy my kids. I just don't expect it to be perfect adoration. I enjoy this church. I don't expect it to be perfect. Hey, guess what? This new guy coming in, he's not going to be perfect. He's going to get a honeymoon period. That's going to be great. But then he's going to be asked to make some massive decisions. There are some things dividing us still in this church. And he's going to have to, with the help of the elders, he's going to come out. And he's going to say some things. And some of you are going to be like, oh, really? I don't like that at all. That's, oh, come on. Bring the bald guy back. Come on. <laughs> Right? Nobody's going to do it. This is not heaven. It's a foretaste of heaven. So enjoy the foretaste. Enjoy those moments. Right? Uh, Because they're fleeting in this fallen world. And then he says, on the other, never mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy, an echo, a mirage. So here's one key application point. Lewis says this, human beings cannot make one another really happy for long. It just doesn't work. It only works in the abstract. Uh, Noreen and I are going to um, Portland next weekend to speak in a marriage conference. I'm going to get up there with Noreen and we're going to be... We're gonna, We're doing a talk on sexual intimacy. We're doing a talk on how to resolve conflict with God's power. And we're going to be up there laughing at each other's jokes. And we're going to only be sharing the illustrations, not the really bad illustrations. We're going to be sharing other illustrations. And people are going to look at us and say, oh, that's the perfect Christian couple right there. And I'm going to say, yeah. Um, (laughs) No. No. I often say, I will say this to the audience next week. I'll say, how many of you had an argument on the way to the conference? On the way to the conference. And you will see hands go up all over the auditorium. I'll say, imagine having an argument on the way to speak at the conference. (laughs) We've been doing this 21 years. You better believe there's been times we were not doing great heading off to a family life marriage conference. I remember one time we were mad at each other. We were just mad. And we're not yellers. We do the silent treatment. I I was a theater major. I had mime classes, okay? (laughs) I can do the silent treatment. So we are in our hotel room, right? And now it is 7 o'clock. And there's a ballroom full of people. And family life does not care how well you're doing at that particular moment. You need to go down there and you need to share God's blueprint for marriage. I don't care if you're living it. I don't care if you believe it. We have paid you. You need to go do it right now. So we're both looking at the clock, and I tried just a little bit of humor. I looked at Noreen. I said, hold my hand. It's our job. And Noreen took took my hand, and we walked out. So now that's a running joke. That's a running joke now. I look at Noreen. I say, hold my hand. It's our job. You know, just kind of looking. Listen, I can't make her happy. I really can't. I cannot scratch the God itch. Uh, I can't do it. 
So you know what I need to do? I need to go to God. A God who loves me unconditionally. A God who gives me grace. A God who says, I forgive you of all your sins, past, present, future. Tim Yohoff, I love you with divine love. Noreen can't. And the kids can't. And your fellow colleagues at Biola can't. And this new pastor can't. I can. That's why we're to have Sabbath rest. You store up on it. Like a Sunday or a Saturday, you store up on God's grace. You soak it in because you know it's going to get expended throughout the entire week. Like a tire that has a small leak in it. Our job is to get divine love. Hey, you know the cool thing about being a Christian? One day, we're going to experience divine love. Right now, we see it darkly through a glass, Paul says. But there's going to be a time we're going to get the real thing. I love what John says in Revelation 21. I have heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. You know, God is present in this room. We just can't see it. We can't perceive God's presence. Remember, um, God's everywhere. Remember in Acts, the writer says, for in him we live and move, exist, and have our being. David would say, God is before you, behind you, and put his hand upon you. We just can't see it. In heaven, we're going to have the perception of being able to see God, and God is everywhere. So we're going to get to heaven, and there's God, and we're going to perceive him. Then this is really cool. And God himself will be among us, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I love that. Men and women, it's not that we're going to get to heaven and God's going to have one big meeting and says, okay, on three, all pain, suffering, sorrow, mourning is done away with. One, two, three. He's not going to do that. John says he's going to come up to each one of us individually. He's going to say, Tim, I know the pain you experienced and I wipe away your tears. I comfort you. Bob, I know the pain you had. Karen, I know the pain you had. I watched it. I was there. I heard every prayer you didn't think got through. And I wipe away your tears. And then he says, the first things are gone away. There won't be any death here anymore. There won't be any mourning, crying, or pain. The first things have gone away. The second things have come. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts. And we all do. We all thirst for perfect love, commitment, status, self-image. And I will give it to you from the spring of water of life without cost. And then I love this. He who overcomes will inherit these things. Men and women, some of you are in tough tough places. At the Gary Chapman event, uh, yeah, it was great. 1,200 people. Dr. Chapman's awesome. But there were some hurting people here. Uh, Some came up to me. Some came up to Dr. Chapman. We had some couples who really were having a hard time arguing outside this church in public. Things were so raw. God says to each one of you, overcome. I know what you're doing. I know the pain, the hurt, the sorrow. Overcome, because I promise you, heaven is worth it. See, that's what separates the early church from us. They thought about heaven 24-7. We don't. Why? Because they were a persecuted group. They were given their lives. They were dying in droves. Heaven was a reality. Here in Orange County, we're like, well, okay, heaven will be cool. I just hope it doesn't come too quickly. Because i got plans. There's things I want to do. The early church didn't think that way. So men and women, God says to you, overcome. But then he says this, and don't forget this. Hey, heaven is big enough for everybody. God says, I do, not, I do not take pleasure in the death of anyone. Even the wicked, God says in Ezekiel. I want everybody to be there. I want your non-Christian family members to be there. I died for them. I want your non-Christian um, co-workers to be there. I died for them. Those people in your neighborhood, I died for them. I want them to be there. Men and women, heaven is big enough for everybody. 
God would delight in reconciling the entire earth to himself. Now he says to us, go, have these spiritual conversations. I've hardwired the human heart for discontentment. You've experienced it. They experience it. Now I'll use that as a launching point to have some great conversations. So men and women, that list we created last week of men and women who don't know Christ, let's pray for them. Let's pray for openings. Let's use pop culture to do it. I'm not a fan of Christians who say, I don't have a TV. Well, okay, I get that in some ways, but you know what? Television is the king on the block. It always has been and always will be, not the computer. People watch things and think about it. People see movies and deeply think about these movies. As Christians, we need to be aware of the common lingo. So again, people kid me all the time, and rightfully so, that Walking Dead is the most watched show in the history of cable television. More Americans watch The Walking Dead than any other show there is. And you watch The Walking Dead, and yes, it's zombies eating people. Okay? But it is so much more than that. I mean, what do you, is there, does God exist in the zombie apocalypse? They've had shows dedicated to answering that question. Is there still morality in a zombie apocalypse? Or do human beings just decide who lives and who dies? Because a lot of people in The Walking Dead think, I think there's still a sense of right and wrong. Even though there's no government, no religion, no anything. So men and women, we need to know what our co-workers are thinking and talking about. So we need to use pop culture to be conversant in it so that we can talk to our neighbors. And hey, what did you think? And I don't need to see every movie to do this. Right? I can read about movies. Unfortunately, Fifty Shades of Grey has done amazingly well financially. It's been destroyed by the critics. But it's done really well financially. People go see this movie in droves. I've not seen a minute of it. But I've written blogs about it. I've read reviews about it. And so I, I had a friend say, oh, I love it. I, just, I said, can I just, what do you love about it? I, I guess I don't get it. Fifty Shades, what, like, what is this? And we had a great conversation. And then I kind of made my point. Isn't this somehow glamorizing domestic violence? Isn't it? And he said, oh, well, I didn't quite look at it that way. <laughs> I didn't do that. But I was like, well, you know, yeah, that's, I think it's interesting to think about. You know, marriage. What's the purpose of marriage? He goes, well, I don't know. What would be the purpose of marriage? I said, well, I'm a Christian. I believe God has a purpose for marriage. He goes, like what? I said, well, like this. So let's use pop culture to start some great conversations. And I'm going to pray for your conversations. And by the way, when you commit evangelistically to share with people, it revitalizes your prayer life in a heartbeat. When you say, you know what, I'm going to, in this next family get together, I'm going to initiate some spiritual conversations. It does wonders to your prayer life. Right? And it's exciting. You're involved in spiritual battles. Satan is not pleased. I love what Winston Churchill said. Nothing is quite as exhilarating as being shot at and missed. <laughs> right? When I say I'm going to share the gospel at this conference that's coming up, or I'm going to share with my friends, um, guess what? Satan gets involved. And I better be on my A game. So you know what? I start to deal with my sin. I start to deal with my selfishness. I start to pray and I look for opportunities. Um, I checked out a jujitsu school once. I was thinking about switching. And uh, so I, I did a one free thing. We're all sitting around afterwards, just laying around. And one dude said, honestly, he said, man, that Walking Dead episode was so... I said, you guys like Walking Dead? Oh, we love it. We sat for a half hour 
talking about the walking dead and implications of the walking dead. What do you do for a living? I teach at Biola University. Oh, wow, really? I said, Christians watch the walking dead? I'm like, yeah, two of us, right? So (laughs) let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that we're your ambassadors. What an honor that we get to represent you, your love, that you weep for a world that doesn't know you. We get to represent that. We get to tell people about your great sacrifice. Father, I pray for us as Christians that we would not expect too much of this fallen world, but we would enjoy the parts of it that are good. Father, use us. I pray for some great conversations in the future. You speaking through us to share the gospel. We love you. We pray for your strength, your grace. In Jesus' name, for his sake, amen.